Uh, my name's Chuck. I'm married to this hot girl over here. Give us a twirl, Taryn. No. Uh, and um, uh, so this is a seminar about momentum. Um, and uh, so maybe some of you actually wanted to come to this seminar and others of you just aren't quite secure enough to be seen going to the porn seminar. But <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, we'll take it, we'll take it. We're encouraged by your presence. And uh, we've been leading a church called City Church, which is a vineyard church right up in Aberdeen. We've been leading that church for about, oh, just coming up, 11 years. And uh, it's been a joy, uh, mostly. Uh, and... Um, uh, so 11 years ago, the church was about 100 people, 100 adults and, and some kids. And um, it's, we've been sort of holding on for dear life for the last 11 years. The church has grown by about 100 people a year for the last 11 years. Uh, and it's been completely lovely and also very, very challenging. And um, uh, yeah, just some sweet times and also some times which have been slightly less fun. And so I think probably over the last 20 years, of being in ministry together, we have experienced all every season. You know, we've, ex we've experienced summer when everything is going well and everyone's in a good mood. And we've experienced autumn where everything is turning brown and the leaves are falling off. <laughs> and we've experienced winter when nothing's growing and it's just dark and cold. And we've experienced spring when just when you thought there was, you know, you'd never see the light again, you could just see the little green shoots of something new. I wonder what kind of season that you feel that you're in right now out of those. Maybe all of them at the same time in different areas of what you're involved in. Um, but in every season, all of us as leaders, the, one of the things that we long for is momentum. And, and momentum is quite difficult to um, uh, define unless you're a mathematician, in which case it's mass times velocity. But uh, for the rest of us, it's like we know, when it, we know when we have it, and we also know when we don't have it. Um, I always think perhaps the, the easiest way to understand momentum is like when you're trying to chase a big boulder down the hill, you know, you know, and, and you're running after it, and you're just hoping to be able to steer it enough so that it doesn't roll over your house. Um, <laughs> and and uh, the opposite... You know, when you, when you don't have momentum, it's like you're trying to push a really heavy boulder uphill and it just keeps rolling back and rolling over your foot. So, so we, we know what it is when we have it and we know what it is when we don't have it and what we want as much as possible, please God, is to have it. We'd really all like momentum. Um, and so we've been asking the question probably for the last two or three years, hey, wouldn't it be lovely if there were some things that we could identify that caused momentum and some other things that we could identify that damaged momentum? Wouldn't that be such a sweet thing if we could just figure out one or two things like that? And the truth is that for Taryn and I, and this is probably true for many people in this room, we are very future-focused. So we did the strengths finder thing and even though I married the lovely Taryn because she and I are very, very opposite in lots of ways, we both have the same top three strength finder strengths uh, and it's all about the future. So we never look in the rearview mirror and we rarely reflect on anything at all. <laughs> and, and so, um, uh, you know, you know, for those of you who are golfers, you know, 
you might hit a hundred absolutely terrible shots, and then you hit really, really, you know, one peach of a shot, and you think that was so great. How on earth did I do that? And you've got no idea. That's pretty much where we've been living for the last eleven years. Like occasionally something would go right, but you had no idea why. And so we've been trying to identify over the last few years in particular, how, how could we get better at understanding this concept of momentum? Um, because actually, even when you have momentum, um, Andy Stanley says that if you don't understand why you have momentum, then you're just one really stupid decision away from losing your momentum. Uh, and also, if you have momentum in one particular area of the life of your church or your ministry or your business or whatever it is, but you don't know why you've got momentum in that area, it's almost impossible to transfer that momentum to anything else. And so we're desperate to try to understand, would it be, wouldn't it be amazing if we could just have a few little thoughts, ideas about what causes momentum and what um, damages momentum? And I think we've come up with some things. In fact, I think mainly we've borrowed them from other people. So people like Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle, Brian Houston, Rick Warren, another guy called Jeff Surratt, who's a friend of ours, and he uh, writes an amazing blog that I'd really, really recommend. I think their website is something like Ministry Together or something like that, but I'd really, really recommend that. And so what we want to do today is to um, share with you five steps towards generating and keeping momentum. And... and um, if some of them are helpful, that would be an absolute <laughs> value. So the, the first thing is this. I am the first project. Before, before I concentrate on anything that I'm involved in, I have to recognize that God needs to do something in me before he can do it through me. Um, when we've been leading in moments that have lacked momentum, I don't really like myself. Right? So there are lots of ugly parts of my character that come out when, I don't have it, when we don't have any momentum, when things are going badly when I think, oh gosh, um, I don't like how insecure I am, especially when I see other people around me who have momentum, other churches or ministries. I think, oh, I'm, I I'm not really enjoying how insecure I am. Um, I find out that I'm quite a grumpy person and uh, that way more of my identity than I feel is healthy is based on other people's approval and admiration of what I'm doing. And, and in those moments, I think to myself, Hey, just wait till I have momentum. Just wait till things are going well and all of the problems are about how are we going to disciple all these new Christians and where are we going to put everyone and what are we going to spend all this money on? In fact, we've never asked that question. But um, <laughs> you know, when, we're, when we have momentum, I'll be in a much better place because really I think I can handle that. And then it turns out that when I have momentum, there's a whole other set of character issues that have come to the fore that have been even uglier than the ones I had before, right? So, so I'm still insecure, but also I'm really, really great at propagating pride in my own life. Um, or I, I, it turns out that I can really easily believe my own hype. Or I easily become self-absorbed. Or um, it turns out that when we've got anything happening in our church that is nice... I want to keep it all to myself and not share anything with anyone. And, and my point is that actually it's, it's just always the right time to allow God to work on who we are. Right? We should never delay that or think that when something changes in my circumstances or in my church or my ministry or my business, that will probably help my character. No, no, no. 
Uh, actually, there's nothing that presses um, uh, the buttons in my own personality and character than a, a bit of healthy growth. And so it's probably just a good time to address that now. And so things like looking for a spiritual director, which there are masses of now in the vineyard, getting sozoed, going on a retreat, getting prayer ministry. There's another thing that I always want to call WTF, but it's not called that. It's called RTF. Uh, uh, WTF is a whole other thing. But um, prayer ministry, coaching, all of those kinds of things um, would be really helpful. The other thing, just while we're talking about ourselves as a project, there's nothing that pushes all the boundaries in my life like a bit of growth and health and momentum. So what I mean by that is um, uh, I might have certain boundaries in my life about how many nights a week I'm willing to work or how many hours in a week I'm willing to work or um, boundaries about my, uh, the way that I interact with people of the opposite sex or boundaries to do with taking a Sabbath or whatever it is. And as soon as you have a bit of growth and things start to get a bit busy and frenetic, those are often the first things to go out of the window. And so we need to make sure, you know, in any seat, whatever season you're in, is the right time to start to think about what boundaries do I want to have in my life. So, uh, oh, operating system is not up to date. That's not my fault because it's not my laptop. Okay, nothing blew up, so we'll move on. Oh, settings. That is now not working. Okay, second th step number two. I need to start working on the church or ministry or business than in the church. Um, the simple truth is that no momentum ever happens by accident. So it never happens that you show up, you know, you go to bed on Saturday night, and uh, you're expecting church as normal, and then you get up on Sunday morning, and suddenly something's happened. Like, people are becoming Christians, and, and there's twice as many people uh, there today than there were last week, yeah. and, and you change nothing. Momentum never happens by accident. It always happens because somebody somewhere changed something. They made a decision about something. And now this is where it gets quite frustrating because there are a whole bunch of churches within our movement who have bucket loads of momentum. And you might take them for coffee and say to them, listen, tell me what you're doing. Tell me, what did you do to, to generate that amount of growth or health or, or number of people coming to faith? What did you do? And they'll be ever so humble. And they'll say, well, I don't really know. It was, it's just the kindness of God. It's just the Lord. It's just, we didn't really do anything. It was just, you know, just God's, God's gracious. And, and he just did some things. And, and we just try not to get in the way. And I'll tell you what, they're lying. <laughs> they are lying. They made some decisions. And what you'll find is that the churches in our movement, and in fact, any church or any business or whatever, who um, are experiencing significant amounts of momentum... They're experiencing that because it's their regular habit to remove themselves from the situations that they're directly involved in, removing themselves from working in the organisation. And that, that might be for one day a week or one day a month or one day a quarter or a week a quarter or a week a year or whatever. At some point in their lives, they have a regular rhythm of removing themselves from their organisation in order that they can look at it from a different perspective. 
And even as I'm saying that, I'm recognising that we should be doing that way more than we are. But the truth is that I can look back at a day I went up a mountain and say, that was when the Lord spoke to us about becoming a multi-site church. I can look back at a moment really recently where I spent a day in Starbucks because the weather was so bad I didn't want to go up the mountain, um, <laughs> where uh, the Lord spoke to us about a particular giving p- campaign that we did in the autumn. And if I hadn't taken those, and the same would be true for Taryn and the things that she's involved in, if we hadn't taken those moments out from our direct situations in order to think about, Lord, what, what is going on in our context and how, what would we do to try and solve some of those issues, then nothing would have changed. And so it would always be our first recommendation to people who feel stuck, like just take a day, go up a mountain, spend a day in a coffee shop with an open notepad and just see what it is that you need to do. And if, if we don't do that, our experience is nothing changes. You know, if you, if you don't change anything, nothing will change. Okay, next one. Uh, step three, change into something new. If you don't remember anything else from this afternoon, other than the fact that I said that my wife was hot, um, then remember this, because I think this is the most important lesson that we've learned about momentum. It's something that Andy Stanley talks about. Are people familiar with Andy Stanley? He does an amazing podcast on leadership. He says this, momentum is new and improved and improving. If you do something new, it generates momentum. If you significantly improve something, if you do something new and it's a significant improvement on what you had before, it generates momentum. If you are constantly improving things, then that sustains momentum. And that momentum might be good momentum or bad momentum. It might be all heading in the wrong direction. But if you change something, if you do something new, it will generate momentum. It always does. And so that new thing could be anything. It could be a new staff member. It could be a new building. It could be a n- start a new prayer meeting. It could be add a new program, change the old kids' curriculum for a new kids' curriculum, uh, launching a new site, launching a new service, beginning a new sermon series, introducing some new preachers, buying a new PA system, getting a new projector. New things generate momentum. New triggers momentum. We know of a church that had thousands of pounds in the bank and then they decided, you know what, let's, let's deploy this money. And they got a new youth pastor and a new worship pastor and a new administrator. And, and it was like, oh, gosh, we're not going to have any uh, you know, this money in the bank anymore. But it was the best decision that they ever made because suddenly they had bucket loads of momentum in their worship ministries, momentum. In their kids' ministry, there's momentum. Uh, in everything that's happening, it's like different and new and exciting. And um, I, I think for us, one of the uh, s- most significant changes that we made when we first became the leaders of our church was we had the, uh, when we first gathered all of the leaders together, the small group leaders and so on, and introduced ourselves as the leaders of the church, um, uh, we were sitting in the room where the crash used to happen on a Sunday. And uh, the truth is that the crash carpet was absolutely horrible. Like, you know, it was like threadbare, it had been patched up, it was dirty. Clearly some kids had had little accidents on the, you know, different patches all over the carpet. 
and and people um, who'd been around the church for years no longer noticed. Do you know, like they they didn't see it anymore, but you could see it in the faces of everyone who ever visited our church. <laughs> they would go to deliver little Harriet, you know, to the crash, and they'd be like, "I'm not sure I want to leave my kid in this room with that carpet." And so we just said, "You see, you know, we we're meeting with these leaders, and we said the first thing that we're going to do." is we're going to change this carpet. And they looked down at the carpet and they were like, yeah, you're right, we should change this carpet. (laughs) And then the next week, the carpet was gone and there was a whole new carpet there. And there was something about the message that that sent to our church was like, you maybe don't see things, but your leaders are seeing what what the visitors are seeing. And we want to make a change. We want to deploy our assets and our resources towards making changes (coughs) that really matter had an enormous impact on the momentum immediately. Um, and so we know that it's true. Um, and so, uh, um, so we're talking about new, improved, or improving. Constant improvement, constant tweaking sustains the momentum that you already have. Um, so if you only ever sing the songs that you've always sung, then over time your worship will start to feel less fresh than it did when you first started singing the songs. We all know that that's true. If we run Alpha in the same way every time with the same menu and the same jokes and the same venue and the same table decorations and the same you know, music playing on the thing, if we run it in the same way every time, then over time we'll have less visitors and less guests and, and it'll just gradually die a slow death. Constant improvement, tweaking, sustains momentum. And now the lovely Taryn. Lovely chuck. Yeah, very hot. <laughs> right, anyway. <laughs> okay, step four is focus. Oh, got it? Yeah, okay. So in April 1973, three men boarded Apollo 13 in a bid to land on the moon. But once they were 203,000 miles from home, they were travelling at... at 2180 miles an hour they flipped a switch uh, to start preparations for landing on the moon and an explosion happened and it took a few hours for um, the technical team to work out what had gone on and basically what they discovered was that there was a loose wire that had ignited an oxygen tank and it had left them precariously close to death. They had enough (coughs) oxygen to sustain two men for 44 hours, yet there were three men and they had 100 hours till they got home. And so from that moment on, every action, every calculation, every decision was made in light of that truth. They shut down every system that they deemed not essential for getting them home. So they shut down the water and the heating and the lighting and the electrical power, all in an attempt to get them home. And eventually they did make it back safely because they'd stayed focused on one thing. One thing. Steve Hickey says this, whether you call it focus vision, single-mindedness, concentration or direction, it is critical for fueling momentum. And the point is that for us, for us, it's so easy, isn't it, as 
church leaders or you know when we're in ministry or running a business to allow things to become so complex and um, I've got a friend and he um, is a consultant based in the area of multi-site he advises, he advises churches on this stuff and um, he's been doing this thing for decades and he said to me recently I've never had to advise a church to do more like what you need to do is more programs. He has never needed to do that. And yet complexity, it stifles momentum like almost nothing else. And so for us as leaders, we know what it's like, don't we, to have so much demand on our time. We can easily find ourselves getting busier and busier and giving ourselves to more and more things. But for the sake of momentum, less is most definitely more. Focus. Focus is the key. And it seems to us that if we want to see an increase in momentum, then it would be a good thing for us to maybe think about focusing on these five things in particular. And the first one is health. We need to um, maybe have a look at this little cycle that's going to come up here. Now, for me, it hit home when I saw this little cycle here. So, lack of momentum leads to frustration, which leads to striving, which leads to stress, which leads to disillusionment, which leads to lack of momentum. I've certainly been in that place. I know what that feels like. So every part of this cycle is unhealthy and it is not God's will for our lives. He does not want us to be living in a place of striving. He wants us to be in a place of freedom and of grace. He does not want us to be in a place of where we are stressed out of our heads. He wants us to be living in a place of receiving his peace and knowing his peace. He does not want us to be in a place of disillusionment. He wants us, his will for our life is that we are full of faith. We're full of faith. And this cycle, it can be true for me as a leader, a team, a ministry, a church, a business or a hospital. And the only way to break free from this downward spiral is to pursue health. To pursue health. To pursue spiritual and emotional health for me personally. And then to work really hard at building a healthy team. And we've worked really hard at trying to build a healthy team um, since we've been leading our church over these last 10 years or so. So what we've done. Um, we've had to double our efforts recently, but what we have done for the last 10 years is we meet as a staff team every Thursday. And that is not a business meeting. That is fun. That is relational. And the discipline is um, that you have to bring one, at least one encouragement to share with the rest of the team. And it is a discipline because if you've had a really bad week, then that's actually quite a hard thing to do. And so we each encourage one another. We each say what our week's been like and bring an encouragement. We uh, pray, we worship, we eat cake, and we have fun together. The other thing that we've been doing is we um, run a leadership conference once a year in Glasgow. We all head down to that, so we take our staff team, we take our leaders, and we all go away for four to five days, and it's absolutely amazing. Hearing God, building relationships. But recently, we just sense that you know, there were some relationships where we just started to see things, started to fray a bit. You know, tensions were there when they weren't there before. 
and um, we felt like we needed to up our game a bit. So we introduced something called Last Thursday. And Last Thursday happens uh, last Thursday of every month. And what we do with our staff team now is we all get into teams and we put in different teams every time we meet and we just do some really silly challenges, really fun things. So we, uh, our building is an old Baptist church. It's full of nooks and crannies. So the first thing we did was a beat the clock hide and seek. And so people were hiding in the rafters, they were in the baptismal tank, and we all had to run round and uh, discover where they all were, which was just fun. It was really good. Another thing that we did was um, we were given some cardboard, um, some parcel tape and a pen, and we had 20 minutes in our team to build a fortress. And the fortress had to be able to hold the team, so six or seven people, and not only that, but then three basketballs were going to pound this fortress and it was a fortress that could stand the test of the basketballs and keep everybody inside was the winner. Silly, silly things like that we've just loved doing and it's been really great fun. We've also introduced something called Fun 20, which basically is around lunchtime, three times a week, everyone gets up off their desks, whatever they're doing, and uh, we just head downstairs and we play Jungle Speed, we play Unihawk, we play something fun. They've actually been doing a bake-off recently, which has been really great. So they've come in, a lot of our staff team are really keen bakers. And it can be quite um, interesting when they're graded and they think, oh, I should have I got a higher score than that. But anyway, it's been really, really good. You've probably heard the saying... Um, and you've probably heard it in conversations when we're speaking about church sizes, you know. And it's a little phrase and it says, healthy things grow. And so often I think we focus on the growth part of that sentence. As if health is a given. But health is not a given. Health takes care. It takes time. It takes attention. It takes focus. And we'd be profoundly mistaken to focus all our attention on growth. If we focus all our attention on growth, we're not going to get growth. But if we focus our attention on health, then not only will we get health, but we'll also get growth as well. Number two is vision. So we have a block of flats um, next door to where our church building is in Aberdeen. And it's full of elderly people. And um, years ago now, I had this idea at Christmas time, wouldn't it be lovely to give each of those elderly people a hamper, a Christmas hamper, with lots of gorgeous goodies in for them to eat, that we knocked on their door and we said, hey, we're your neighbours, we're from City Church, and we just want to give you a really good Christmas and say, bless you, we're here for you, we're praying for you. And so we told the church about it, and the church thought it was a good idea. And for the first year, we got about 130 hampers. We had more than enough to deliver to the block of flats, and we also gave some out to other people as well. And it was brilliant. And so we're like, fantastic. You know, the church's on board. We'll, we'll just carry on doing this. And so we did this year in, year out, until about two years ago, when we put the same notice in the notice sheet, and we got about 25 hampers. And we're like, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on there. And then we realised that no one had any idea why we're doing this. 
You know, it's just what we've always done. They had no idea. And the point is that our assumption as leaders is that everyone knows why we're doing everything. And yet, as we began to discover, and we started to do this review across our church, we realised that we were badly mistaken. You see, the truth is that every volunteer is asking the question, is this worth it? Is this worth the time that I'm going to give it? Is this worth the sacrifice that I'm going to make to it? Is it worth me getting out of bed two hours earlier on a Sunday morning? Is it going to make any difference to anything or anybody? And so that's why it's so essential that every ministry, every program, at the heart of it, it's got a really, really strong why. And the litmus test is that you can ask anyone in that team, hey, can you tell me why you do what you do? And they can tell you. They were, they're able to tell you. And, and of course, what we know is the most dangerous part of any project is the middle part. So right at the beginning, you're full of faith, you've got your vision, you've got a team around you, you feel like you can take on the world, anything's possible. And right towards the end, you can see the finishing line in sight. And you know, okay, all we need to do is one last big push and we're going to be over the line and we've done it. But it's the middle part when you forget why you started this thing in the first place and you cannot see the end in sight. That is when the leader of that particular team, ministry, whatever it is, needs to focus all their energy and all their attention on saying the why, repeating the why over and over again. Chuck. Number three, so we're, gonna, we're focusing as much as we can on these things. We're focusing on letting go. Um, it was painful when somebody came up to me at the end of a church service a few years ago and said, uh, I see that you have the mark of the beast on your forehead. Uh, it, was, it was painful when I led worship at a gathering of small group leaders about eight years ago, and they all agreed that I should never do that again. Uh, it was painful when we first started using video as, uh, to record people preaching, to give feedback, and I discovered that I was bald. It was painful, <laughs> it was painful when we employed my best friend on our staff and the situation went sour. It was painful when the young leaders that we had been investing in decided to leave our church and not even uh, say goodbye. But nothing has been more painful than letting go of the things that we've loved to do in order to see the continued growth and health development momentum within our church. Uh, and there are so many things that I've loved over the years that have kind of appealed to different aspects of my personality um, uh, and I've just had to let them go. The same with Taryn, she's had to let things go that she's loved to do. Um, but it's worth the pain. It's worth the pain every day of the week. Uh, in the vineyard, we talk about everyone gets to play. And that value is so precious and actually critical to momentum. Uh, and the problem is that when the pressure is on uh, and when things are growing and, and, and when we feel like there's um, a pressure to get better and to be more excellent at things, the temptation is to hold on to more or to say, oh, well, we used to allow you to do that, but now we're bigger, we want to... Uh, you know, take more control. But actually, the more that we, we fight that instinct 
to control things, the more likely we are to see growth and momentum in what we're doing. Um, the, like I said earlier on, the, the, the mathematical equation for momentum is momentum equals mass times velocity. Uh, mass is really, really important. So you, you as a leader may have all the momentum in the world, but it's only you, right? And it's, you have about the, the same amount of momentum as someone who's riding a push bike. You know, you pull the brake and you stop a few metres later. But what you actually want is the kind of momentum that, a, uh, you know, a, a 15 carriage train has carrying hundreds of people. You know, how long does it take to stop a train that has 15 carriages and carries hundreds of people? Like half a mile. Uh, because it's heavier, it's got more mass. And so actually the more people that we can have involved in what we're doing uh, and believing in the vision and giving their lives to something, the more likely we are that the whole church has momentum. So we have to fight the urge to control and instead embrace everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play is such a gift to momentum. Now the next thing we have to focus on is impact. Is what we're doing actually working? Like, not, not do we hope it works, not do we think it works, not do we assume it works, is it actually working? We have three different kind of metrics that we look at to, uh, or, um, uh, yeah, that's, let's call them metrics, uh, as a way of trying to understand uh, is what we're doing actually working? The first one is this. Uh, so we plot a graph. Uh, impact and the cost, right? So this is time, money, resources, energy. And what we're <coughs> trying to do is for every single ministry in the church or everything that we're responsible for, we're saying, what does it cost and how much is the impact, right? So, so, so some things uh, uh, are really easy to do, but they have a disproportionate effect. And other things take everyone giving hours and hours and it costs us thousands of pounds. And if we stop doing it, no one would notice. And so we're just trying to understand what actually is the impact of all the things that we're doing. And you can see that like some things would be really, really high cost and have no impact. We call those foolish things. Now, we, we might still decide to do those things because they, they're a particular value for us, but we just want to recognize that actually they don't have as much impact as we would want them to. Other things, they don't cost us anything, and they don't really have a very significant impact either. We call those things safe things. Like, it's not wrong to do them. It's fine to do them. It just doesn't really make any difference whether we do them or not. There are other things that are high cost and also have high impact. And we're going to say, you know, that's a great move. Like, we, we do, um, uh, at least in the... Uh, in two out of the main school holidays, we do uh, kids' holiday clubs for primary school age kids, and it costs us thousands of pounds. And you know, a team of hundred, like probably hundreds of people, uh, and it's a huge amount of effort. They begin planning it six months in advance. Uh, it's a huge cost, and hundreds of children get to hear the good news of Jesus, and hundreds of them commit their lives to Jesus and move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So it's, that is a, you know, that's a good move. And we want to continue to do those things. But also what we're really looking for is the yeah. gold mine, which yeah. is low cost, yeah. high impact. Yeah. And so isn't that just so helpful to start to think through the things that we're involved in? Actually, is it making any difference? Is it worth the cost? 
because <coughs> even if we're not asking those questions, as Karen said, all of our volunteers are asking those questions all the time. Is this actually worth it? And our role as leaders is to make that judgment call. Um, another one is this one. So for any particular ministry, you might say, well, wh what does it cost to get this level of impact? Or what does it cost to get this level of impact? And what, what you find is, you'll see it on this graph, actually, initially, in, uh, the, more, the more cost we pay, the more um, investment we make, the impact is growing all the time. But there comes a particular point where actually, you could put loads more effort in and actually got, get not a very different result. And so Rick Warren calls this the good enough line. If, you're the, if, if that makes you twitch a bit, I, I've heard um, Jeff Surratt calls it the excellent enough line. Yeah. Uh, that's maybe just a different way of thinking about the same thing. But it's like, you can see that it costs this amount of uh, investment to get this amount of impact. But if I was to put twice the amount of money, time, resources, energy into it, I'm only getting a tiny bit more impact. And the only person who's going to notice that impact is me. Yeah. Right, so you could say for um, writing sermons, preachers, right? You could say, well, actually, if I spend um, 12 hours writing a talk, that's going to be pretty good, and, and that's going to be worth the investment that I make. But I could spend 24 hours, and the only person who would notice the difference between those two sermons is me, and inevitably my wife, <laughs> but nobody else. Often my wife and not me. Uh, <laughs> so we want to just be making sure that we're not spending loads and loads and loads of time, energy and money on things that make no difference whatsoever. So we're always trying to look at every ministry in that regard. And then the next thing is, we're just going to look at what is actually working when it comes to evangelism and reaching people for Jesus. Because um, our assumption has always been, um, well, what happens is, uh, I stand up on a Sunday and I say to all the people in our church, who are you inviting to Alpha? Right, does this sound familiar? You know, we've got an alpha launch coming up and we want you all to go to the highways and byways uh, and to your work colleagues, your neighbours and your friends and invite them all to alpha. And then uh, we're going to fill that room full of non-Christians and then uh, over the course of 10 weeks um, we're going to do things to them. They're all going to become Christians uh, and then they're going to start, you know, <coughs> loving our church and being part of it. And, um, you know, if someone was really cruel, they might say to me, well, how's that working for you, Chuck? And the answer is, not very well, it turns out. You know, when you actually look at, not how you think this all works, but is, is that working? Is that how people are coming to faith in our church? And so what we did was, we actually tracked it. We said, let's look at a whole bunch of the people who've come to faith in the life of our church. What happened to them? And it turns out that a whole bunch of things that we thought had no importance whatsoever, and, and some things we didn't even know were happening, were the most important things that were happening in the life of our church. Um, so, well, I should say, first of all, that uh, lots of people in our church, it turns out, didn't have friends. Or if they did, they only had Christian friends. And that's a bit of a problem, so we started to address that. But our assumption was Alpha would happen at that point. But actually, when we looked at who had become Christians over the last uh, little while, it turns out that uh, what we call outside socials was always part of their story. So there was a fundraising Caleb, there was a comedy night, there was a whole group of guys going off 
to go on a whiskey tasting tour. There was, you know, was di different things that happening in the life of the church. Lots of them uh, we weren't really aware of. Um, it turns out that, that those were the kind of things, it was like really, really low bar. Probably people didn't really talk about Jesus. Uh, the Alpha course almost inevitably wasn't mentioned, but every single person who'd come to faith had been to something that would fit into the category of outside social. And then, inevitably then, um, Christmas would come around and they would find themselves in a, in a Christmas guest service or something like that. Uh, and they would think, oh, uh, I don't normally do church. Actually, I've got no interest in church. I've got no interest in, in Jesus. I'm a firmly committed atheist. But because I know you a little bit now, I might come along to your church for Christmas because my kids would like it. And then when they're there, they, they might meet some other people who say, hey, there's a group of us guys who play squash on a Monday night. Why didn't you come along? And they think, well, I like squash and I like these people. Are you going to talk to me about Jesus? No, 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 no. We just play squash. That's fine. I'll come along to that. And so they might come along to that. And then inevitably we would find that over the course of time, they would start coming on Sundays, uh, maybe once every three months, then once every two months, then once every month. And then most weeks they would be in church. And over the course of time, they used to be committed atheists, and now they're thinking, hey, there's something about these people. These all seem like really normal, rational, intelligent people, and yet they believe in a supernatural God. What is that about? And do you know what? When you invite them to Alpha then, they come. And so nearly everyone who's become a Christian in our church has done Alpha either immediately before becoming a Christian or immediately afterwards. And um, last year we saw something like 350 people give their life to Jesus in the life of our church. So it's like, let's not assume we know what works. Let's be just like, facts are our friends, even if they hurt. Facts are our friends. We find out what is actually working, and then we do that. Let's do more of what works and less of what doesn't work, is really what I'm saying. So we're looking at impact. Uh, and the last one is, we're going to focus on consistency. Jim Collins, in his uh, amazing book on leadership called Good to Great, he talks about momentum as being like this enormous metal flywheel, really, really heavy metal wheel. And it's like, to begin with, it takes loads and loads of effort to even get it slightly moving. Uh, and you just keep putting effort in the same direction, and you keep applying the same effort just time and time again. And the, the speed of the wheel builds up until there comes a point of breakthrough where even if you were to try to stop it, you'd, you know, you'd get damaged in the process of trying to stop it. And um, he says this, it's never one big push that brings momentum, but all of the pushes added together in an overall accumulation of effort in a consistent direction produce momentum. And that is absolutely our experience. Um, for years and years, our Christmas services were an absolute disaster. Um, and the worst thing is, when you're having really horrible Christmas services, and you go on social media, isn't it? It's like, you know, oh, there's another picture of a packed-out church with people enjoying, you know, just the beautiful production of, you know, West End-level singing and all of that. And here's our slightly less exciting thing. And, and what used to happen was... Uh, people used to go away for Christmas, right? So, so um, all of the good musicians would decide, oh, I, I want to be with my family for Christmas, and they'd disappear. And so you'd get, you know, Barbara and Betty, who, uh, you know, play a bit of piano in their spare time. Uh, they, it turns out they're now the worship team, and uh, everything is just lacking that 
je ne sais quoi, and it's just all a bit <laughs> disappointing. And so lo and behold, nobody invited anyone to come to it. And so our numbers would, were, you know, would be quite healthy in the uh, autumn term, and then it would hit Christmas, and they would go through the floor. And so Taryn was like, no more. We are not doing this anymore. We're going to do better than this. And so she um, said to a bunch of our musicians, please don't go home for Christmas until after the Christmas services. And they were like, why would we do that? She said, well, because we want to see loads and loads of people come to know Jesus. They were like, okay, we'll do that. And so they stuck around, and um, like we downloaded a video, uh, which was like cutting edge at the time, uh, as a kind of opener for the thing. And uh, you know, she thought about different aspects of the service. And the next Christmas, exactly the same number of people came that had come the year before. Now, inevitably, at that point, lots of us would be thinking, oh, well, we tried it. You know, we, we gave it a shot, but actually, turns out that Aberdeen is, like, really hard to the gospel. You know, like, uh, there's something wrong with Aberdeen that is, isn't, <laughs> happening, isn't happening for the good folks of Kensington, you know. Uh, there's something wrong with Aberdeen that means that Christmas doesn't really work as an evangelistic tool in Aberdeen. Uh, but actually, Taryn didn't do that. She just carried on, right? Every, you know, every push of the flywheel in the same direction, just consistent after, uh, uh, year after year. And each time, people were like, I came to it this year. I've got confidence now that I'm going to invite my neighbors next year. Uh, and then, you know, those people would bring people the following year. Uh, and, and, so, um, and then we started being multi-site. So we have um, normally, on a weekend, 11 different services in seven different locations but over Christmas, we had 17 Christmas services in nine different places across our region, and at least 500 first-time visitors set through, set through the doors of our church. You see, my point is, hold your course. If God has told you to do something, hold your course. Because it's little bits of effort in the same direction, being consistent year after year, that gives people confidence that your leadership um, is the kind of leadership that would generate momentum. Hold your course. It's not about doing, this is a Steve Nicholson quote, it's not about doing everything right, it's just about doing the right things. And then if we do the right things with the right people at the right time, we'll get the right result. And the last thing is to, so step, that was step four, is to focus, 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 focus. Uh, and step five is to avoid intolerances. Y you know when um, you eat something, and you feel a bit unwell after it. And uh, you know that there's something that you're eating occasionally that makes you feel unwell, you just don't know what it is. So my friend tells me that if I, I can send off this kit off of the internet, and they'll send this kit to me, and I don't know whether I'll have to like <laughs> slit an artery or something and just put some blood into the, into the thing and send it off. I don't know exactly the mechanics of it, you'll have to ask somebody else about that. But they'll send you back a report that says that apparently you're intolerant to jelly babies or um, red wine or dairy. dairy or gluten. Yeah, probably more likely yeah. gluten than <laughs> <laughs> jelly babies. <laughs> Brussels sprouts. Um, right, so it turns out that momentum has intolerances. There are, there are particular things that have the same effect on uh, momentum as Brussels sprouts do on my teenage son. And uh, Taryn's going to take us through those as we finish. Okay. Oh, are you, oh, no, I'll do that. You do that. Okay. So the first intolerance 
is safety. So you can have safety or you can have momentum, but you can't have both. So we have just um, planted three churches out of our church. Uh, we planted one last year, uh, Inverness Vineyard. And we just a couple of months ago planted Sterling Vineyard and Inverclyde Vineyard. And these guys, even just to get them to the starting line, they have got so many incredible stories they can tell you. So many stories about what God has done, <coughs> how he's uh, spoken to them, how he's led them, how he's directed them, how he's provided for them in miraculous ways. And because they know the hand of God over their lives, because they have seen the Lord move, they have got momentum and it's coming out of their ears. They are off out of the starter blocks and they are going for it. They are running for all their might. And they will do anything, absolutely anything, to see their church plant grow. They are prepared to risk it all because they have nothing to lose. But when they've grown a bit and they've built up a track record and they've got some staff and they've got small groups and they're looking at the finances and they've got bucket loads of responsibility, then maintaining that momentum is going to be much harder for them because of the, se the sense of weight of responsibility and care that they're going to feel is going to tempt them to play it safe. But if everything in the church is safe, if the vision is safe, if the kids' ministry is safe, if the worship is safe, if the finances are safe, if there is no risk, if there is no faith, if there is no gap between vision and experience, then it's going to be really, really, really difficult to generate momentum. Whereas if we cultivate a culture of faith and risk and adventure, momentum will grow and it will grow in its bucket loads. Number two is foolishness. So you can have all the momentum in the world, but if you make a terrible decision, then you can lose it all. So if you choose to meet in the wrong venue, or you choose to meet at the wrong time, or you choose to buy the wrong building, either it's too big, it's too small, it needs too much work doing to it. You choose to put your trust in, in the wrong people. You get them up the front, you lay hands on them, you appoint them to leadership, and, after, and then after a little while you realise, oh my goodness, they're the wrong people to do that. If you make a poor decision in your personal life, all these things and many, many more things can cause momentum to evaporate. And in the book of James, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So the more wise we can become, the greater the opportunity for momentum to build. Number three is boredom. So if I as the leader allow myself to become bored with the things that once excited me, filled me with passion, um, just uh, I love the vision of, and then suddenly I'm bored with it all, then of course momentum is going to drain away, isn't it? And that is why it's so important that we keep fanning the flame that we keep recognising why we do what we do is so important, why it does make a difference, why we're passionate about it, why it is such a powerful thing, it's such a privilege to do what we get to do. 
And as we start to love what we do, then momentum will grow. It will grow. Number four is hype. I remember years ago, there was a national non-denominational worship and prayer event. And it was advertised like this, one day to change the world. And at the first year, it was absolutely jam-packed, full to burst in. Maybe people hadn't realised that there was one day that changed the world, and it happened over 2,000 years ago on a hill outside Jerusalem. Anyway, uh, the first year, jam-packed full. The second year, it was a complete disaster, a total disaster. Why? Because hype kills momentum. Not straight away, but whenever you have promised something and you don't deliver that, disillusionment and scepticism, it sets in, and that is where momentum then evaporates. And so it's really important for us to be militantly anti-hype at all costs. Facts are our friends, hype is our enemy. And lastly, number five is friction. You know what it's like probably, there painful situations that are going on and difficult times and you find yourself waking up and the first thing you think about is that person <coughs> and the last thing you think about is them as you're going to bed. Maybe it's just Chuck and I but we'll, we'll, we'll be going to bed and, and um, we'll be like we're not going to speak about it, we're not going to speak about it and you turn the light off and you're trying to sleep and it's normally me saying Oh, can I just tell you? And then they said this, and I said this. What do you think they mean by that? And you, you, is it just us? Or? Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. And those seasons, I have to tell you, in our leadership, they have been the least fruitful. We've seen the least growth, and we've known the least joy. And there is a reason why Jesus said, if you have a problem with your brother, go to him and sort it out. And if your brother has a problem with you, go to him and sort it out. And if you're on your way to make an offering at the temple and you realise that there is an issue with someone, go to them and sort it out. And if you are just about to break bread and you realise that you are out of sorts with a person, <coughs> go to them and sort it out. You see, if we want to cultivate a culture where momentum can thrive, then we'll pursue relational health and reconciliation and peace. So finally, let me finish by saying this, our prayer, and we are going to pray in a moment, but our prayer is that for all of us in the room, that we will experience an exceptional year in 2019 of momentum. Why don't we stand? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And Lord, we just pray for everyone in this room pray for wisdom, we pray for relational health, spiritual health, we pray for vision, we pray that we would be bigger risk takers than we are, 
We pray, Lord, that you'd give us a bigger vision than we currently have, that you'd help us identify people that we can um, trust and who can lead. Jesus, would you build your church? Would you use us to do that? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for coming.